Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers Thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I'm a small business owner, and I believe that this is a great tool for other small business owners. In small businesses, you need to create a team. And if you're starting by yourself, Constant Contact can be the team that you need. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by the 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I think what we are really seeing in this world is many people are dreaming for a better world than we have currently. We were looking at pictures of children as young as four and five who, because their fingers are so small, right, they're able to pick out the metal, mm. right? Nobody wants that. Obviously, you have leaders and laggers there, but don't forget they're all parents. They all have children at home. And these children are saying, I don't want you to be my parents anymore if you don't create a future that we can live in. If you want to change the trajectory of kind of the collective behavior, sometimes you can actually just shift by the murmuring of a few birds, right? To start to flock, starts to move in a different direction. It takes one, two, three to start to tip it. If you get enough people together in the private sector, you get a collective courageous behavior. And we believe, and we've already seen some proof of that, that as a result, we can drive the implementation of the sustainable development goals a little bit faster and hopefully make this world a better place for everybody. Welcome to the Global Goalscast, the podcast that explores how we can change the world. This episode, we will imagine a different world economy, a world where the biggest industries and corporations work together to redefine globalization and make capitalism work for everyone. That includes cutting carbon emissions and pulling people out of poverty, for example. Remember that song, Imagine? From John Lennon, inspired by Yoko Ono. <laughs> exactly. Imagine all the people, John Lennon saying, no need for greed or hunger. So beautiful. I think that he was calling for the Sustainable Development Goals even before there were Sustainable Development Goals. Every line in that song refers to one or more of the goals, it seems to me. And conflict, eradicate hunger, make it a better capitalism. And our guest this episode will tell us why this doesn't have to be a dream. They've started a company to make it happen, and they've named the company 
imagine. Can I be the official singer of the company? So they actually have official socks. So I don't know why they wouldn't have an official singer. I um, think you would a be Mexican, great. A Mexican singer <laughs> going on stage every time Paul Palmer wants to wants to talk. I can uh, I can be the intro. I, why why do you need to intro Paul Palmer if you can sing his intro? There you go. <laughs> We're going to talk about all of that and much more right after this. This episode of Global Goals Cast is brought to you by MasterCard. MasterCard is dedicated to building an inclusive world in which the digital economy works for everyone, everywhere. So many of the women that we spoke to also have ambitions of their own. They'd like to own land. They'd like to start a business. That's part of what's so exciting about this work. We're not just helping workers get their wages more safely, but we're including them in the formal financial system. Later in this episode, you'll hear about MasterCard's digital pay project to protect the world's garment workers. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and Universal Production Music, and to Harmon, the official sound of Global Goalscast. Welcome back. I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. And I am Edie Lush. Claudia, you and I have been for two years now sharing stories about the sustainable mm-hmm. development goals. One question I think tugs on us more than any other. How will we get this done in the next 10 years? Yes. How will we curve global warming, eradicate poverty? How are we going to increase gender equality? How are we going to reduce conflict? Especially when so many governments are not doing enough or even worse, taking us in the wrong direction. Right? U.S. pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. China building more new coal-fired power plants than the entire rest of the world. And the trade wars that are happening are undermining the effort to eradicate poverty. So much to do, so little time. But here's the thing. Governments matter, of course. And they are under growing pressure from the public to do more and more. But the truth is that much of the world's economy is shaped not only by governments, but by the actions that the industry and big corporations take. Imagine if industry did more. You got it. And I sat down actually in this very studio just the other day with two people, friends of the Global Goals cast, who believe that they can make it happen. They're called Paul Pullman and Valerie Keller. Paul was until recently the CEO of Unilever, one of the largest household and personal product companies in the world. He was widely known for keeping Unilever and its employees focused on making the company be part of the solution and not part of the problem and creating a more sustainable world as a fact, Edie. He suggested 10 years ago that every brand of Unilever, every one of them, would have a purpose that made it not only a great success financially, but Unilever became the third most desirable company to work for in the world because people care. And that's, in fact, why I started using Unilever products. Is that right? Back in the day. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you, do you the soak deodorant, it with Dove? The oh, Dove. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ben and Jerry's ice cream. Very loyal to Ben and Jerry's. No, it is actually crazy because consumers care and buy with their beliefs and employees, young people, want to work for a company that inspires them. So this raised big anxiety when he decided to retire. Could the sustainable world keep the work going without its main champion? So Paul turned for guidance to Valerie Keller, a well-known CEO whisperer, coach, and leadership expert. We started working intensively together about a year ago when we were thinking about the transition at Unilever. And some people were concerned outside of the company more than inside that if I would retire, that our focus on driving this more sustainable and equitable business model grounded in the sustainable development goals, multi-stakeholder, longer term, that that would be challenged. And now is not the time to lose such a powerful force for good, as Paul himself explained. I think what we are really seeing in this world is many people are dreaming for a better world than we have currently Mm. and bringing the sustainable development goals alive. We're actually well behind on our current trajectory globally. We will only achieve them in 2073 and that's way too late 
lots of people will suffer or lose their lives as a consequence. And fortunately, there are many people in the world who don't want to be part of that. But then we have this dilemma, fine, we know what we need to do. We need to solve issues like climate change and make this world function for more people than we currently do. But collectively, we don't seem to be able to do it. And Imagine is really created to create that collective courage and uh, work at industry level under the premise really that we need the private sector to step up. It's very clear that moving forward, we're having a little bit of a difficult situation geopolitically. Whilst we need the NGOs and trade associations, etc., they're not really designed to deliver the step changes. But if you get enough people together in the private sector, you get a collective courageous behavior. And with 25 to 30 percent of a industry sector present around the table, you can actually create tipping points. And we believe, and we've already seen some proof of that, that as a result, we can drive the implementation of the sustainable development goals a little bit faster and hopefully make this world a better place for everybody. You mentioned collective, courageous courageous collective. collective. (laughs) What's interesting about that is that it encourages people to act together, Mm -hmm. but you also work with leaders to make them more empowered, more excited to take these changes. So how do those two things work together? And actually, even when we work with leaders, we will usually work in the collective. So Paul mentioned how we really... It's a synergy. And it also comes from just a deep understanding of this human operating system. Human beings get courage in the collective. The best image that I I might want to think about is this kind of the, the flock of birds. If you want to change the trajectory of kind of the collective behavior, sometimes you can actually just shift by the murmuring of a few birds, right, to start to flock, starts to move in a different direction. It takes one, two, three to start to tip it. Part of it is also about just tapping into the fundamental essences of our human nature. Humans want meaning and belonging. We're hungry for that. And the people who make up these CEO and C-suite positions, these executive positions, are human beings who fundamentally at some level know what time it is and are deeply concerned about the trajectory of our planet. And of course, what that means in terms of rising inequality and the kind of social fabric fraying. So when you put these people together in conversations, they get higher ambition and collective action. People kept asking me after Paul was leaving Unilever, gosh, do you think Unilever is going to hold the course because we really need them to really prove the model, right? Why? Because they were looking for more of the collective as well, safety and numbers. I think one of the interesting learnings was part of the work that Paul and our other co-founder, Jeff Seabright, was involved with the Consumer Goods Forum. So we're looking at, you know, kind of leveraging the learnings about what we've seen work well elsewhere, where you've been able to kind of bring together CEOs of companies who might otherwise be in competitive spaces and together make decisions on it. Well, see, there are many areas that you don't want to compete on that if you don't fulfill them, the whole industry gets pulled down. You take plastics as a good example. Now, there is a huge issue after David Attenborough's and the National Geographic issues or the whale on the beach. I think everybody is now understanding that we need a more circular or regenerative economy and that the fact that we're heading towards more plastic in the oceans than fish is not a good thing. But any individual company take consumer goods, it's impossible for these companies alone to set up a recycling industry. They don't have the scale, the know-how, the capabilities, and it requires working with multiple parties, from civil society to governments to companies and, and others alike. So you need to put these alliances together, and that's obviously very hard work. But if you bring an industry together you can actually move these things forward at a faster speed. A good example of an area that is what we would call pre-competitive. Pre-competitive meaning? Pre-competitive means that consumers don't really buy on those criteria. A consumer doesn't buy a television based on the mechanism for remote control. Yet it sucks a lot of energy. If you can put the standards for the industry there with lower energy use, you'd Mm -hmm. be better off. So the same is true on ice cream and beverage cabinets. If you take all these cabinets which have engines in there to keep it cool, consumers don't buy a beverage, a Coke or a Pepsi or an ice cream like a Magnum or a Ben & Jerry's based on the engine Mm -hmm. that is in this cabinet. Now, these engines are HFC or CFC. That's an enormous destructive effect on global warming. Industry got together, decided to move to natural refrigerants, collectively spent money to provide the innovation Mm -hmm. to get there. Engine is invented, less energy use, no HFC or CFC, natural refrigerants like ammonia, big influence on the Kigali Agreement, which goes back to the Montreal Accord. So the countries then get courage when they see the whole industry moving. So you not only 
in Unilever's case, transform over a period of 10 years to 3 million ice cream cabinets or all these beverage cabinets, but you're also influencing then at, at that scale the public policy. And you're moving faster than any company could have done alone. Could well, have never achieved that. What's interesting there is that you say the company's moved or the industry's moved. It's people. Right. We say organizations are made of organisms, if you just want to distill it down to that. Right. And so when, when we look at that story and we say, well, how did that happen? Right. So how do we get more of those kind of collective actions? You would say, well, there was a guy named Paul. He was at Unilever. And then there was a guy named, I don't know, who was it? Who was at Nestle at the time? Nestle at the time was uh, Paul Booker. So it was like, let's get Paul and Paul on the call. Right. And, and let's talk together about how when we go in, who's going to say what first. Right. Who's going to set the bar high and then we're going to move it together. I think we often kill ourselves in the notion of systems transformation. Mm. We all need to move. No, the flock needs a couple of birds to start to think, how do we use our power to start to fly differently? No CEO wants a child in their value chain, in their supply chain, to be going to bed hungry. Actually, this morning we were with a, an entrepreneur in the fashion industry and a member of the, the royal family who's really you know, passionate around taking slave, modern day uh, slavery, modern day slavery mm-hmm. and ending that in the supply chains. And we were looking at pictures of children as young as four and five who, because their fingers are so small, right, they're able to pick out the metal, mm. right? Nobody wants that, yeah. right? So there's a little bit of conversation that says we don't have to do it that way. The only reason it's done that way is just because we're not being conscious about it. We haven't decided that we want to do it differently. Mm. So I think there's an important learning for us here that when we do let's just humanize this. Let's simplify it at a certain level. And it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it can be simple. Mm. We have actually the opportunity to uh, convene in the industries that have the highest impact on the sustainable development goals. And that's what we have prioritized on. We have the possibility to convene about 25 to 30 percent of the value chain, Mm -hmm. partly having been a CEO with the networks that we have created around us, we can bring them actually together. And when you get 25 to 30 percent of the industry together, and usually they are leading companies by themselves, mm. otherwise they wouldn't be there. But then the CEOs collectively actually set the bar higher than each of them individually would do. And what you see is when you get 25, 30% of the industry together, others actually call in and say, why can't I be part of that? Because right. clearly there's something happening. And it's I like being part of a cool gang. Yeah, You're absolutely and I don't right. We say, let's the, put the cool kids club together. I don't want to miss the boat. You know? I don't want to miss the boat. <laughs> yeah. And what also happens is then NGOs who have a strategy of attacking each individual company, when they see 25 to 30% together, they say, I want to be part of this journey. Mm. I want to influence it, be sure that it happens transparently and to the highest standards, but I want to be part. So they become partners. And what we also see is governments become more interesting. So instead of getting these knee-jerk reactions in rules, laws, and regulations that are basically geared towards the next election cycle, but Mm. not what we need, you get substantive frameworks that are put in place that are often translated into less regulation. How do you tackle something like the auto industry? So just taking a a moment in time for the last couple of months, we saw four automakers reach an agreement with the state of California to limit auto emissions. But then we saw the Trump administration coming in, messing that one up, announcing they wanted looser standards and they'd begun an investigation to see if the auto companies had broken antitrust laws. How do you work with both the companies and then the government to make the right thing happen. Well, you're pointing out here a specific issue with California where you have a state within a country that is more ambitious and a government that has Mm -hmm. set different targets often driven by political interest and election cycle. So there is tension sometimes at micro level. But take a step back and look at the car industry. All the major car companies in the world have made commitments to decarbonize and get out of internal combustion engines. It was actually invented by Mercedes. Mercedes has made very aggressive agreements, some companies by 2025, some by 2030, but it's moving. Volkswagen just made a a commitment to spend over $1 billion in their research to get there. So we see major cities in the world now, cities as far as London and Rome and Copenhagen and Brussels, and the list goes on that are are putting timelines in place now for being uh, combustion-free and getting into uh, electric vehicles. That's moving very fast. And obviously, you can imagine if these big cities move, then the countries move and and the thing will spread very quickly. We need uh, electric grid systems for charging of these. uh, We need standards on batteries. We need standards on materials being used and recycling and Mm. safety standards. So getting collectively together with these industries will allow us to move much faster than you otherwise would be.
when we return to Edie's conversation with Paul Polman and Valerie Keller, we will hear how Imagine is working with the fashion industry to help save the planet and improve the life of its workers. But first, here's Laura McKenzie from our sponsor, MasterCard, who's providing those same garment factory workers long overdue financial inclusion and a possible future beyond the factories. We know that we can't do anything without partners that can help us reach and access individual sectors of people. So as we've embarked upon our garment program, we've established a recent coalition. And that coalition at the moment includes industry players like Levi Strauss, Marks and Spencer, and Vanity Fair Corporation. And Vanity Fair Corporation is the parent company of brands that you'll know like North Face, Timberland, Jansport, and, and many others. And we work with them to identify factories that they use to produce their goods and digitize the wages for those factory workers. We also work in conjunction with a global nonprofit, BSR, which stands for Business for Social Responsibility. One of the critical elements of being successful in these pilots is ensuring the financial literacy and education of these workers. Certain workers who have a leadership position and a level of respect within the, the textile factory community are chosen to be peer leaders and they become the trainers. And we bring those folks into the program. We give them access to the card products and the mobile wallets early on so that they can begin to use it. And they can then become not only trainers, but evangelists out to their colleagues and their peers in the factory. I had the great good fortune to be in Egypt at one of our factories earlier this summer. And we've met with many factory workers. They're predominantly women. And they're driven, as so many of us are, by a deep desire to ensure that their children have good education, can move on to professions. They don't actually want their children to remain garment workers as they are. They have higher aspirations for them. So many of the women that we spoke to also have ambitions of their own. They'd like to own land. They'd like to start a business. So for me personally, that's part of what's so exciting about this work. We're not just helping workers get their wages more safely, but we're including them in the formal financial system, which means that they can have savings accounts. Some have access to credit for their business. They can put away funds for their children and their families, and they can continue to support their families, at both locally in and around, but also overseas. Thanks to Laura McKenzie. She's senior vice president from our sponsor, MasterCard. Now, back to Edie's conversation with Paul Pullman and Valerie Keller from Imagine. So what are the industries that you're working on that will make the biggest difference? Believe it or not, the second most polluting industry from a point of view of climate change, biodiversity, oceans, uh, is in fact the fashion hmm. industry. To many people's surprise, but uh, 45% of the plastic you find in the oceans are the microfibers from the clothes and washing that obviously enter into the food chain very quickly and have devastating effects. But also the way that uh, cotton is grown or water usage behind uh, making of blue jeans and other things is a devastating effect on biodiversity. And then obviously the labor standards in the value chain, as we've seen in the Rana Plazas of this world, are not up to the standards of what we want our own children to be exposed to. So this industry has work to do. That's the first industry we focused on, and we're starting to make progress there. The second industry we're focusing on right now in the relatively limited time we've had together is travel and tourism. Mm -hmm. 10% of the world population is uh, employed in uh, tourism itself. It's an industry that has uh, over 320 million people working for them, a tremendous impact. And here again, travel and tourism alone it's about uh, 10% of, of carbon emission. So that's a big hmm. industry that we're focused on. And then yeah, food and, and land And use. contributing to biodiversity loss at a rapid rate as well. 
And the third industry we focus on is food and land use. 30% of the natural solutions for climate change is uh, the forests of this world and, and reforestation. And the way we currently produce food leads to enormous poverty in the value chain once more, but also leads to enormous destruction of the world's biodiversity with devastating climate effects. Over 20% of the climate effects actually come from food and land use. So if we can tackle those three industries fast as a priority over the next five years to create these tipping points, I think we might not have solved all the problems. We should not be pretentious here. But we might have made a major contribution in accelerating the implementation of these sustainable development goals. As we're working with the fashion industry, it feels really great what we've been able to help to support and catalyze. And it. tell us what you have been able to do. Sure, I, there too. I'll do it because Paul's too <laughs> modest. <laughs> I remember saying it's the it, industry it, doing it. Yeah, it's the industry doing it. Right, that's right. President Emmanuel Macron had had met with Paul during the UN General Assembly a year ago. And we were saying, of course, you know, governments aren't moving fast enough, but France had the G7 um, that it was going to be hosting. And so the question was, is can we help mobilize the private sector around this kind of public moment? And one of the things that we were looking at already was saying, okay, but where are the industries that really in the companies that can make a big impact? And so fashion, we thought, well, France is fashion, right? It's known for this. And what happened there was really amazing. I mean, it's a first step toward the, the longer step. But we had 32 companies, 32 companies signed on. Now, it's an open-ended, right? It's optional on a piece. But in terms of really making material commitments around climate, regenerative cotton, and plastics, big steps in that way, not knowing how they were going to get there. But, you know, as we would say and agree with, and others have said as well, it's about acts, not packs. The question now is saying, can we help curate a group of CEOs across the value chain? And if I had my magic wand to wave, it would be, of course, people from Mass, the Adidas and the Nikes of the world. Obviously, there's people who are from the the manufacturing and, and the retailers, like Alana with Selfridges and others. But if I had to wave a magic wand, I'd say we'd put this group together on the floor of the RLC. Because you can be on the floor of the RLC right now. And when I came into this world, you couldn't. It was the fourth largest sea Hmm. in the world. And why is it now a carcinogenic, arid floor bed that's lost all the fishing villages and a livelihood? It's just because of cotton overproduction. The water was diverted to Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. So it was just scale and bad planning on Mm. this. And to help a group of people see something you can't unsee. And then to say, you know what? We don't have to do it this way. Mm. We can collectively do it better. This isn't a snap your fingers and move to transition overnight, right? There's a design to the current system on it, and we need to redesign something better. So we're saying it's about a five-year commitment Mm -hmm. that we would see. Minimum five years, and maybe, of course, there's a 10-year horizon for the global goals. And then travel and tourism, I mean, let's see. The CEOs have been reaching out, right, from hospitality, from cruises, from airlines, right, from the travel and tourism operators. And talk a little more about de-risking, because that seems to be one of the things that you guys work on quite strongly, making CEOs and industry feel like there's less of a risk. Is that right? Well, collectively, there is less of a risk if you do it as an industry. If we all move, then you don't get this uh, prisoner's dilemma. If Mm -hmm. I do it and you don't do it, I might be at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. There is still disbelief in some of them in the industry that it costs money. In fact, it's increasingly proven to be the opposite. But having safety in numbers is a very important part to get the industry on board. And as we see with fashion, as we're going to see with travel and tourism, that will definitely happen. But the other thing that is far more important, that the industry, we have few leaders that are first to engage with governments or to engage with NGOs. Like what? Well, many CEOs are busy keeping their companies afloat Mm. and they hate to get involved in politics and they don't really have the skills on how to do that because as an individual company, you cannot do that. Might be some lobbying, but how do you really collectively change the system? It's very difficult. But if you come together with an industry, 30, 40% of an industry, all of a sudden you discuss with governments and come with good proposals. So this is where Imagine provides that safe space, and that is what we call de-risking. That's a very important thing right now, because what we're really after is changing the systems and not working in the system anymore. 
head of one of the world's largest ice cream brands out with us in Indonesia. And we were looking at the largest Buddhist temple and having the conversation around kind of, okay, well, what is the need of the world right now? What's the big challenge that the world needs from us? And if we were to have the courage to put our scale in service of that, and when they redefine it, says what we're up to is being part of the happiness movement. There's, we're solving for a deep disconnect that people have with themselves, with their ecology, and with societies. And we actually are at the grassroots level and have an opportunity to help to solve that. Then the next question comes, it says, well, who else is in the happiness movement? Right? And how can we be a part of actually saying we are here to help accelerate that? So that's part of saying how you can move from people who are adversaries to allies just by saying we're redefining the game to say what does the world need from us now and how do we show up in service of that? And that's a fun game to play too. That's the other thing. We really have seen this move from sustainability as it's heavy and hard and don't do bad shit. Right. right? <laughs> There's a possibility here. And I think this goes back to the sense of, you know, the what, what John Lennon and Yoko Ono were gifting to us with the song Imagine, right? They were saying, Imagine. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. I mean, this is not mm. just a pipe dream. It's what we set our imagination on. We can achieve it. We've done that. Mm. Humanity has done that over the course of centuries. So what is it that we want to imagine as the possible? Mm. I wonder if you imagine sitting down with the oil production majors as well and what might be possible there. I think there was a report the other day saying that by 2030, on current trends, the world be taking more than twice as much fossil fuel out of the ground that can be burned if we're ever to achieve the Paris Climate Agreement. So could you imagine, there's the word, <laughs> sitting down with the major oil companies to work out a curb on extraction? The oil industry is obviously a very challenged industry because on the, the, the uh, privately owned companies are what you would call the publicly traded companies are probably only 15 to 20 percent of the whole industry. And it's a state controlled industry in many cases, which makes it especially difficult because for many of these governments, it's an enormous source of revenue. So can the industry alone solve that at the speed that is needed is probably difficult. Can we get the industry collectively come together? and create a critical mass to drive some changes, I think that is possible. The industry is now coming together and looking at carbon capture storage. They've okay. committed one billion. That's probably not enough for what is needed. We have a broad enough coalition now that is calling for carbon pricing. As you know, you need to look at your risks in your value chain. You need to have a carbon price and you need to have a, or a cap and trade system and, and, uh, and, and to move it forward. So the industry has collective initiatives, but I think increasingly the bar is being set higher and the question is, can we get them up to that level? There's obviously in some of the elements of that industry still dysfunctional behavior where people have an interest to protect the current system because it's serving them well. But there are companies within that that are making rapidly the transformation. And if we can create some more critical mass around that, I think also that you see this industry being more responsible. Obviously, you have leaders and laggers there, but don't forget they're all parents, they all have children at home. And these children are saying, I don't want you to be my parents anymore if you don't create a future that we can live in. They also see the greater Thornburns and they're actually taking off on Fridays to be protesting. So more pressure is coming from them. And the insurers are getting on board too, right? So I think that's also uh, a part of it. You talk about sure. risk, right? And de-risking it. Well, if you've got to start pricing risk in a completely different way, mm -hmm. then it's yeah, a big, that's uh, a huge decarbonization well. movement happening exactly. now. So they feel that pressure. Now, what we need to do is work with these companies because they've provided energy to us. They've given us this standard of living. There are many people working there, although seven times more jobs get created now in green energy. There are still many people working in the fossil. So this just transition that people mm -hmm. are starting to talk is also extremely important. And to not just go call Turkey on these companies because we do need energy, but to work with them on an accelerated transition. And there the oil companies can probably step up to be more focal in working with governments to create environments that allow that transition to be accelerated. Yeah. So one day, although there are lots of efforts going on globally right now, one day we certainly envision that we apply the uh, imagine learnings that we have right now also to that sector. Yeah. It's interesting as I'm thinking back to, and Paul, we were in, um, in Davos actually where we launched, soft launched, <laughs> imagine mm -hmm. a little bit. But we had uh, the CEO of Allianz, who Paul knows well, Oliver right? Bates. Oliver Bates, right? And he was sitting in the conversation and Jillian Ted was actually kind of launching moral mm -hmm. money. And Oliver said something really interesting to Jillian. He said, you know, my daughter asked me, Dad, are you proud of everything you do? And he attributes that as his moment of going, hmm. 
actually, <laughs> let's go back and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's the conversation with yourself, the conversation, again, with Oliver and his daughter. Again, this is what he was saying, mm-hmm. right, on the stage in Davos was kind of his, oh, yeah, right, no, maybe, actually, no, we could do something different. And he goes back and he has a conversation with his board and his management team. And then he asked Paul to come out and have a conversation right. with his management team. There was team one CEO well. right now, not to yeah. be named, but he asked all his board members, internal board members, to write a letter to their children. Yeah, exactly. And what hmm. they would be telling their children they would be doing. And that and galvanizing of change, that's, is, uh, it's very <laughs> that's uh, transformative <laughs> because yeah. it really helps. Uh, really helps. We've talked about climate and infiltrating in is this other idea about extreme poverty and tackling that as a real issue. So I wonder why for you cutting and eliminating extreme poverty is part of your goal for Imagine. Because there are two sides of the same coin. In fact, climate change right now is driving more people into poverty. We're at that tipping point. And if you also look in these industries, what you want to solve, let's take the food and land use industry, 826 million people still going to bed hungry every night, not knowing if they wake up the next day. So you cannot make an industry transformation if you don't take that into account. At the end of the day, it's not about solving climate change. At the end of the day, it's giving a decent life to everybody on this planet Earth. There are some simple principles in this world of dignity and respect, of equity, with a certain level of compassion that comes into that. And it always then boils down to ensuring that we don't leave too many people behind. This is now a system where last year the bottom... 3.8 billion people of the world population have seen their income combined go down by 11%. It's the first time that that is happening, whilst the billionaires became again 900 billion richer. So if we can find a way to include in these industries more inclusive, it's also to the interest of the industries because lots of them might be their employees. They might be in their value chains where there are lots of issues in many companies. And they might be uh, not only their employees, they're also their consumers, which is a very important part of that. And obviously, the broader society at large needs to function. So having all these businesses really focus on inequality at the same time makes a lot of sense. In tourism, you see the same thing. A lot of child labor still in tourism that exposes tourism to its negative side that is actually not helping the industry over time. And what you see is if you can detect that by treating these people better, paying these people better, and doing that again collectively by having some courage, sticking to the ruggy framework of human rights and other areas that you actually lift that whole industry up, make it desirable, make it aspirational, and actually your economics work for you then as well. You have a motivated workforce, you have less uh, attrition and other things that come in place. Mm. But you need to lift the industry collectively up because it's very difficult for each individual company to do that. So whatever sector you look at, be it fashion, be it tourist or travel, or be it food and land use, the leaving no one behind, which is the ultimate goal of the sustainable development goals, or attacking this inequality that is there is a very important component. This is not a nice to have, this is a necessity. And so there's a kind of a moment, there's a rallying cry, there's an invitation that says, okay, business leaders, you're not just business leaders, you are members of tribe humanity. So what is the difference between a courageous collective and a cartel? Edie asked Paul Pullman to answer one of Adam Smith's most famous quotes, that people of the same trade seldom meet together, even for merriment and diversion. But the conversation ends in a conspiracy against the public, or in some contrivance to raise prices. It is good to remind ourselves that before he wrote The uh, Wealth of Nations, which you refer to in your quote, He actually wrote 17 years before the book of the theory of moral sentiment. And people have forgotten that. So Mm -hmm. I would say first read the book of the theory of moral sentiment. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a truth that the invisible hand will not automatically correct ourselves. And there are tragedies of the commons that are increasingly transparent. One of them is that we don't have a price on these externalities and the resource use, Earth Overshoot Day this year was July 29th, which means that we use 60% more resources than this Earth can replenish. That's a typical example of the tragedy of the commons. So more than will they raise prices or not, I think the markets are transparent and competitive enough to intervene. And we've had uh, enough examples there of government activity, which gets the attention, is more is how do we deal with these tragedies of the common and they can only be solved if we have collective action and that goes back to the theory of moral sentiment Mm. ultimately we have to 
mm. ensure that we can live together as human beings on this planet now and for generations to come. It is inconceivable to me that in the last uh, 20 or 30 years, our generation, that we have done more damage to this planet than in this previous 5 billion years of existence. What gives us the right to do that? So more and more businesses understand that. More and more businesses want to be part of that solution. And in fact, we're coming to the point where you now see that businesses are probably moving faster to attack some of these issues like climate change than we get governments to do. And it's now a, a moment. We've benefited from governments for a long time to give us this standard of living. Now it's actually time for businesses to step up and help these governments and to be more courageous collectively. And that is exactly what we're going to focus on. And that's the essence of Imagine in Action. Wow, what an interesting conversation. And do you see the connection to John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and Imagine? John Lennon was a poet, and poets offer us visions, dreams that, as another poet, Robert Browning once wrote, must exceed our grasp. Poets show us where we could go. CEOs, leaders like Paul Pullman and Valerie Keller try to get us there. Poets are incredibly important, having that imagination mm. to rethink the problems that we have. When you have a man like Paul Pullman that is both a man of action but also a man of ideas, you create traction and movements and people that want to follow. This is part of a movement, isn't it? I'll call it the Better Capitalism Movement or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So everywhere I've been recently, Edie, business people, news magazines, everyone has been like, holy cow, we really need to do something about it, isn't it? Mm. We went too far. Capitalism has to be rethought and we have to make globalization work for everyone. We have globalized music and sports and trade, but we now have to globalize rights and globalize fairness for everyone. And I think that that's where the movement is going. However, John Lennon asked us to imagine a world with no need for greed. Right. In a sense, Pullman and Keller don't go that far. They imagine a world with the rough edges kind of smoothed off of greed. A capitalism where profit is one of several motives. A balance. Yeah, and I think that recognizing the stakeholders, the way that the business roundtable recommended. So in that sense, mm. Paul and Keller are reformers and not revolutionaries. And I imagine, there's their word again, that those who really want a whole new system will view this as tinkering. Could be, or even worse, they will say that a cartel is a cartel. Basically, that's what Trump is saying about the automakers, who made a deal with California to go further than Trump wanted to in curbing emissions. So, Paul... Pullman skirted around that question about Adam Smith's famous warning that letting the bosses of an industry sit together, even if they say it's for good, will end badly. Yeah, well, he will surely get that question again. But, Edie, at the same time, there's those who are arguing that capitalism is actually our only hope. Take Andrew McAfee. In his brand new book, More From Less, he argues that it is the engine of capitalism, the profit motive, the greed, if you like that better, that will drive the innovation and the efficient use of resources that we must have in the next 10 years to reduce our consumption of resources while continuing to improve living standards. So from that point of view, a better capitalism is the best path to achieving the SDGs. There is no question that from Korea, Japan, China, editors as the Financial Times, I went to the Bloomberg New Economy Summit, mm -hmm. I see that urgent desire. What are the things that need to be done? What is the plan? So the SDGs provide one answer, but there's a movement out there to restore a fairer globalization for all. Although we still have to break the gridlock that is paralyzing many governments. Taxing carbon, for example, to cure global warming won't happen without governments agreeing. Pretty much the same story about inequality, which I think is the main driver of losing trust in every institution in the world for the last 20 years. It undermines business, governments, everything. Everyone has lost trust in their institutions because of inequality. And Keller and Pullman were very clear that they recognize that sharing the fruits of industry more widely reducing inequality and eradicating poverty are essential. Without that, 
you can't imagine much more radical approaches taking hold. Yeah, or just a retreat to short-term thinking. Look at what's happening in China. Yes, exactly. I'm just coming back from China, as I mentioned, and it's so complicated and it's so interesting to see China and climate change as a way to explore how complicated it is to achieve these goals and to really move the needle for things like climate change. So they are a leader in solar energy and renewables. The vice chairman was at the Bloomberg New Economic Forum expressing justified pride, saying we are on track for the Paris Accords. And nevertheless, you know, like it's, it's complicated. complicated because they're also building more coal plants in the rest of the world. And why is that? Because they're worried about their economy, too. Yeah. And that is where I worry, Edie, that we're putting too much on the plates of corporations. We're expecting a lot, but no one really knows how much corporations can really achieve. Take it on climate change. It really, in order to solve the issue of climate change, you need all the political will, the policies, but also trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Not even if you put all the budgets of all the corporations of the world together, you would get that amount of money. And also, no one has really measured what can really be achieved by corporations when it comes to the SDGs. So there may be an illusion that they can do more than what they really can. That is right. And I'm sure, Claudia, that we're going to be back to this discussion in future episodes. For this episode's Facts and Action section, where... As you know, we give you three facts that you can take away and look smart in front of your mother-in-law at the Christmas dinner table. And impress her. Tung tung. There you go. <laughs> Bye-bye, mother-in-law. Tick tick. Happy New Year. And three actions you can take if you want to go and do more. We turn to one of the experts on sustainable business. Hi, I'm Aaron Kramer, the president and CEO of BSR, and I want to share with you three facts and three actions to help meet the moment that we face, the decisive decade of the 2020s, as we aim to accomplish the Sustainable Development Goals. So first, three facts. Well, just this week, we've heard from the UN that the world needs to reduce emissions 7.6% per year during the 2020s in order to keep warming below 1.5 degrees. That is an urgent call to action. Secondly, let's talk about income inequality. And as Oxfam has said, income inequality continues to grow. We saw the wealth of the richest around the world grow by over 10%, and the wealth of the 4 billion people with the least declined by over 10% in the last year. One fact that's good news, though, that I think is worth pointing out, we now have more than 100 companies, and I think we'll see that number grow by the end of 2019, who've committed to a target of 1.5 degrees. And we've also seen two of the six largest economies in the world, California and the United Kingdom, commit to net zero by 2050. So three facts, two of them, I think, tell us the urgency we need to work with, and one of them is a sign of real progress. So three actions. Let's talk about climate, and I would underline the fact that having companies commit to get all of their operations, including their supply chains, at a 1.5 degree target. That's become the new normal. Let's see companies really embrace that as we go into 2020. Second one is we badly need innovation in order to achieve the sustainable development goals. But right now, people don't trust innovation. They don't trust it because they see new business models, new technologies very often violating human rights or getting out beyond ethical principles that are broadly shared. So we need innovation that takes human rights, takes ethics into account. That will ensure that we get the new kinds of products and services and business models and partnerships that we need to achieve the SDGs. Third action, companies need to lend their voice in public policy debates. Governments around the world are retreating from climate commitments. They're interfering with enjoyment of human rights. The business community has an important megaphone, has influence, using it in order to ensure that we have public policies that create the right kinds of incentives for the right kinds of businesses to succeed and thrive and deliver on the SDGs, that's central. It's not too political. It's absolutely important. So those are three facts and three actions as we head into the 2020s, the 10 years when we need to deliver on the SDGs and the vision of the Paris Agreement. Thanks to Aaron Kramer from BSR. 
BSR is a not-for-profit that has been advising businesses and industries on sustainability for 25 years. For more from BSR, you can read Aaron Kramer's CEO letter at bsr.org. It is called A New Climate for Business. You don't need to be a meteorologist to know which way the wind blows. <laughs> nice. Our Global Goalscast playlist is coming together. John Lennon, Bob Dylan, who else? Annie Lennox, of yes, course. of course, yeah. No, and, and with our partnership with Universal, we're going to have even more artists coming your artists. way. Artists. Artistas. So send us your suggestions, dear listeners, for our Global Goalscast SDG playlist. To us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Now, I do think it's a great idea mm. to do a great playlist yeah. of the songs that are like spelling out how to change the world and yeah. make it a better place. Yeah. So I the agree. Global Goalscast playlist. Including some Christmas carols, maybe. There you go. Send us your suggestions. And talking about carols, can we mention that mm. um, I met with the head of communications of the Financial Times, and she mentioned that the carols that her toddler is learning in school is no more jingle bells. Jingle bells, or, you know, like. Jingle, jingle, and, and so on. All those goodies. Right. She's learning curls of recycle and oceans and, you know, like save the planet. Right. Turning England, you know, like... Into, into young activists. There you go. I love it. Yeah. All so, those playlists are accepted as well. All the activist carols. <laughs> we'll accept those into our Spotify playlist. Thanks to Claudia for coming to London to see me and record this. And our thanks to Paul Pullman and Valerie Keller for sitting down with us and sharing their story. We will no doubt be hearing more from them in future episodes. And thanks to you for listening. Please like and subscribe us via iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. And follow us on social media at Global Ghostcast. See you next time. Adios. Adios. Happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. <laughs> but to celebrate something, we have much to celebrate. Global Goalscast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We are editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Kuprider. And our interns, Tina Pastore and Brittany Segura. Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music, one of the world's leading production music companies creating and licensing music for use in film, television, advertising, broadcasts, and other media, including podcasts. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, and Andrew Phillips. This episode is brought to you by MasterCard creating scalable solutions for sustainable and inclusive economic growth. Thanks also CBS News Digital and Harman, the official sound of Global Goalscast. The struggle is real, and we know that firsthand being daughters of hardworking immigrants. That's why on La Lucha is Real podcast, hablamos un poquito de todo. Somos Angel and Edith, long-term best friends who have authentic conversations, giving us space to be vulnerable without judgment because La Lucha is real. We want all of our amigos who listen to us to feel a part of the conversation and feel empowered to become a better version of themselves. A veces bromeando y a veces llorando, pero siempre mejorando. La Lucha Israel podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts.